This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Thank you, Church of the Harvest. It is so good to be with you today. As he said, my name is Troy, and this is my wife, Melody. Hey. And we Go ahead. Hi. That's oh. awesome. <laughs> we are fired up to be here today. Um, I get to share with you on priorities and continue in the First Things First series, but First Things First, I want to share with you a little bit about myself uh, and our family. So we got a picture of our kids. We have three children. Uh, we'll go ahead and put that up there for you. That is Judah on the right. He's seven. Alexa in the middle. Uh, excuse me, your left. My, no. Yeah, your left, my right. The biggest one uh, is Judah. Uh, then in the middle, we've got Alexa, our daughter, who turns six here in just a couple of weeks. And then Noah is the wild child who is two. Uh, so we are excited to leave them at City Church today. We didn't want to burden your kids' workers with them. So we blessed you uh, by leaving them at City Church. Um, but this is my wife, Melody, and she's going to share with you for just a sec. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for having us. I know this is probably a huge surprise to um, most of you, but we are so honored that we get to switch pulpits today, and um, you won't be hearing from me much longer, so that's good news for you. But um, I just wanted to say, if you didn't know this already, I'm sure you do, how blessed you are to have such incredible pastors, and Pastor Rob and Shauna. We... We see a lot of people in ministry, and um, they are just the real deal. They, every time we see them, they are pumped up about everyone here. They are pumped up about something that's going on, about something else that they're doing. And we are always encouraged uh, when we leave and we talk with them. Um, and I just wanted to say that you guys are awesome, too. Every time, sometimes Troy and I go to Walmart or wherever, and someone will come up to us, and they say, Hey, how are you doing? They're so excited. And we... And they leave, and Troy and I look at each other, and we're like, who is that? And we're like, it's probably, probably from someone from Church of the Harvest, um, because you guys are so friendly. So I just want to say, keep that up. Keep it going. You guys are so welcoming, and that's got to be so encouraging to um, first-time guests that are walking in your doors. So we love you. Thank you for having us, and that's all. Absolutely. Thank you, Melody. So just to kind of piggyback off of what she said on a couple of levels, first of all, that's 100% true. Anytime we see somebody that we don't recognize that's excited to see us, we assume they're part of your church. Um, so there's probably a lot of strangers who've never been to your church that we believe go to Church of the Harvest. Um, but, but 100%, that is our assumption because, man, you guys have been so life-giving to us over, over this relationship that God has blessed us with between these two churches. Um, to piggyback as, as well on what she said about Rob and Shauna and just Harvest in general, um, I've known of your church since 2008. Back in 2008, uh, I was the youth pastor at City Church. I started as youth pastor at City Church about 18 months after the church was planted. So I've been here since October of 2005. Um, and in 2008, we moved to Olive Branch. And we moved to Olive Branch from South Haven. Uh, we had our first stop was Whispering Woods Hotel and Conference Center. How many of you guys remember Whispering Woods? You've, you've been part of Harvest that long. Okay. Uh, so those of you who were there uh, remember those days. How many of you are grateful those days are over? 
Uh, God, God has blessed you with an awesome building. Uh, you guys are in, in much better situation, uh, as are we, than we were at that point in time. But here we were moving in to Whispering Woods, and you guys had already been there. You were established there. And, and I remember thinking there was probably going to be some resentment. Right? Like churches love each other, oftentimes from a distance, uh, but, but we're not really good at somebody encroaching on our territory. When a church like builds next door or across the street, pastors get frustrated sometimes. And so I had a feeling that you guys weren't going to like us very much. And I remember this first impression of how welcoming Pastor Bob was. He went out of his way to roll out the red carpet for us to say, how can we help you? We've been here. I don't even know how long y'all had been there at that point in time, months, years, I'm not sure. But long enough that he said, hey, we, we know what works here. We know what doesn't. If you guys have any questions, if we can help you in any way, man, we are for you and we are for the kingdom. And he probably doesn't even remember that. But I remember that. Because you don't see that a whole lot. Unfortunately, in the kingdom, that's not always the way things work. Sometimes we get really protective of our little kingdom, and we forget we're not building my kingdom, we're building the kingdom, right? And so thank you, Pastor Bob, for building a culture that, that transcends Church of the Harvest. Man, that there's a bigger kingdom out there. Now, fast forward a number of years, uh, we were doing a youth camp. Uh, and man, by God's grace, uh, we got connected with your youth ministry, and your youth ministry came to our youth camp uh, for, for a, a few years. Um, we almost killed Jerry Branch multiple times. Um, so I'm sorry, uh, especially to the Branch family. Uh, we, we, we've left him alone for a couple years, so hopefully he's recovered by now. Um, but, but we got to do youth camp together. And as we did our first youth camp, I, I remember it really well, uh, Rob and Shauna attended. And of course, at that point in time, they were not the lead pastors here. Pastor Bob was still the lead pastor. And uh, my wife, Melanie, and I, we just, we just sat down and we had lunch with them one day. Uh, and it was just kind of the four of us in this big, very loud lunchroom with a, a bunch of students being crazy. Um, and we just fell in love with your pastors. Um, just, just authentic, like Melody said, life-giving. Um, we've had dinner with them a number of times, hung out with them a number of times. Shauna, when we had our two-year-old son, Noah, Shauna actually brought us a meal at the hospital. I, I can't remember a single interaction I've ever had with your pastors where I didn't leave feeling better about life, feeling better about myself, feeling better about the future of the church. Man, they just have a gift for, for breathing life. And so I am so honored today that Pastor Rob would allow me to, to speak in his pulpit, that, that he would give me this opportunity. Just to give you a little bit more backstory on what we're doing today, about two years ago, we started having a conversation about doing a pulpit swap. Um, I, I've heard of two or three other churches doing similar things in the past. I was like, man, how cool would it be if we got a chance to just switch pulpits? We'd, would you be interested in that, right? Would you be up for that? And he was like, yeah, absolutely, that would be great. So, so we started working on setting a date, uh, and then shortly after the date we had set, uh, this virus rolls in and, and wipes church out. Uh, and so we were like, you know what? We're, we're going to have to push pause on this. Let's focus on our own congregations for right now. And we've tried over the last two years, multiple other times to do this. And every time we've tried to do it, there's been a, a COVID flare up in one of our churches. Uh, and so we've had to push pause again and push pause again. Uh, and so I am so grateful today that the enemy did not stop this. Uh, 
that, that this did not get shut down, that we have this opportunity today. So I'm fired up to be with you. Uh, I know many of you I recognize, many of you I know by name, many of you I know your face and not your name, and many of you I've never seen before. Uh, so regardless of that status, um, I'm, I'm so grateful for this opportunity this morning. So today we're going to talk about first things First, we're going to talk about priorities. And as Pastor Rob told me about this series, you guys were going to be in as, as we picked a date and settled on a date. Uh, he, he gave me a few different options. Like, he really kind of left it open-ended. He said, man, here's what we're talking about with priorities. What, let me know what, what God speaks to you, what, what direction you would like to go. And so I asked him if I could preach on my favorite topic. Uh, and, and I presented my option, and, and hey, here's where I want to go with this. And by God's grace, he, he was totally on board. So today, I'm going to talk to you about the priority of the church. Okay? I'm a pastor. I love the church. I get fired up about the church. The church, the local church is the hope of the world. And so today I get to share with you about prioritizing this. Now, obviously when I say this, I don't just mean Sunday morning service, right? Because this isn't the church. This is a gathering of the church. Church is much bigger than just this, although this is a significant part of the church. So today I get to talk to you about the priority of the church. Before I do that, though, I want to lay just a little bit of theological foundation. Because uh, before I talk about us, I want to talk about him. Because what we do and who we are should always flow out of who he is, right? So let's say this, first of all, if you're taking notes, and I'd encourage you to because i got a lot to say today. We serve a God of first things. Okay, before we talk about the priority of the church, we got to understand that our God is a God of first things. If we go all the way back in the Bible to Genesis chapter 4, we see a principle that is woven together front to back throughout the fabric of Scripture, the principle of first fruits. Now, you may think that this is a tithing message or a giving message, and there's going to be some things about tithing and giving, but I want you to understand this is a whole lot bigger than this. See, God instituted tithing to teach us something deeper than just giving. So in Genesis chapter 4, we have these two brothers, right? You're probably familiar with them, with them Cain and Abel, the first two kids in history, right? You, you think your kids are frustrating? You think they don't get along sometimes? Just remember, the very first people had children who didn't get along all the time. This is, this is, this is part of the brokenness of man. This is part of the curse, right? And, and so we're not going to focus on the negative so much today. Let's look at the, the one who got it right. Let's talk about Abel. It says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn. Everybody say firstborn. firstborn. What did Abel offer? He offered fat portions, good portions, significant portions, prioritized portions from the firstborn, of his flock. And it says that the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering. Now with Cain, it says that over the course of time, Cain brought some of the grain that, that he grew. So when Cain got around to it, he gave, but Abel gave the first fruits. So why did God reject one offering and receive another offering? Because we serve a God of first things. And he is not going to take second to anyone or from anyone. He's either going to be first or he's not going to be there at all. That's the only option he gives us. This is why we call him Lord. That's why when we receive salvation, we call upon the name of the Lord, not upon the name of the Savior. Because he can be Savior and be somewhere else in my life. But if he's going to be Lord, that means he has to be first. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so Abel says, God, 
your first. I'm going to bring you my first. Now fast forward. The book of Exodus, the book of the law, as the law is being instituted, it says this. It says, redeem with a lamb every firstborn. Once again, the first. Every firstborn donkey. Now, why is this about donkeys? I don't know. We're not going to use the King James word for donkey. We're going to stick with donkey today. Right? It says, redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey. What is a donkey? A donkey is an unclean animal. Okay? What is a lamb? A lamb was a clean animal. So he says, redeem the unclean with the clean. Very important principle. But if you do not redeem it, Break its neck. In other words, if there's no redemption, there's only damnation. If we're not redeemed by the lamb, we're going to end up in a place with a broken neck. We're not going to survive without the redemption of the lamb. He says, redeem every firstborn among your sons. So God gives this principle to his people, to Israel, the Old Testament version of the church, God's people, right? He gives them the principle of the first one. He says, you got to redeem every unclean with a clean. What's happening? God is teaching for us the gospel through tithing. Why is this so important to tithe? Because every time I take my first 10%, which by the way, this is something the church is not great at teaching. The church is really good at teaching 10% because we need your money, right? Like that's just the reality. I'm not saying harvest. I'm just saying church in general. We're going to teach in the, the number of the money, but the power of the tithe isn't so much in the 10% as it is in the first. See, the first is where faith comes in. The first is where you say, God, I'm putting you above everything else. So yes, it needs to be 10%. In fact, I believe we should give above and beyond 10%. That's another sermon, right? But it's got to be the first. That's the power. Since the first is where the faith comes in. So we serve a God of first things. What happens when I tithe is I declare the gospel. I declare my redemption that the firstborn, which is Jesus Christ, the clean one died for me, the unclean one, so I could be redeemed and my neck didn't have to be broken. We serve a God of first things. It is woven throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. Let's fast forward. We started in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Went to Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Let's fast forward 64 books to the last book of the Bible. Let's look at Revelation. Let's look at what Jesus has to say about himself in Revelation chapter 1. In fact, actually, this is John speaking about Jesus. Then we'll get to what Jesus said. Revelation 1 verse 5, John says about Jesus, This revelation is from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn. We see the firstborn in Genesis 4. We see the firstborn in Revelation 1. This is a common theme. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. If you have an only child, you don't call them your firstborn. You just call them your kid. This is my son. This is my daughter. The only time you ever call someone your firstborn is if there is a secondborn, if there are others behind them. Judah is my firstborn son because God blessed me with a daughter and another son after Judah. But if it was just Judah, he wouldn't be my firstborn son. He'd just be my son, right? So when the Bible, the Holy Spirit, inspires John to say that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, what's he saying? saying he ain't the only one. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead so that I can be born from the dead. 
so that you could be born from the dead. Jesus blazed the trail for us and we get to follow. Now you guys are good Bible-believing Christians, you know all this stuff, I understand, but sometimes it's good to be reminded, especially to build a foundation for where we want to go. Jesus says this about himself just a few verses later, Revelation 1.17, says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, this is John talking, as though dead, then he, he being Jesus, placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Now, we're not going to talk so much about the lastness of Jesus today. That's another sermon, but there's some power in those implications as well. But we're going to see the firstness of Jesus. What does Jesus declare about himself as he tells John not to be afraid? He says, I'm first. Zach said, we don't have to fear a virus because the virus was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. Why? Because Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, the one whose name I wear, is first. He's above every virus. He's above every sickness. He's above every disease. We serve a God of first because he's a God who is first, and in his firstness, everything else must submit to him. Jesus is first. Revelation 22, let's go to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Jesus says it again at the end. He says, I am the alpha, I'm the A, and the omega, I'm the Z. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, I'm the first, and I'm the last. Again and again and again, the Bible reminds us that we serve a God of first things. This is good news. We serve a God who all he does is win, 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 no matter what, right? Like, our God does not lose, he does not finish second. If he's not in first place, then that means the race ain't over yet. Because our God is always first. We serve a God of first things. So why is Pastor Rob teaching us on priorities? Why are we talking about first things first? Why does this series matter? Of all the things we could discuss from the word of God, and they are myriad. There are so many topics we could cover. Why are we going to talk about priorities? Well, I believe it is this. We put first things first because God puts first things first. Why do I need to put first things first? Why do I need to worry about this stuff Pastor Rob is teaching me about? Because I serve a God who puts first things first. And everything I do and everything I am as a believer and follower of Jesus should flow out of everything he does and everything he is. Amen? So if God gets his priorities straight, and he does, then I got to get my priorities straight. Now, it's easy for me to stand up here and teach this. It's a lot harder for me to walk this out. So please understand I don't have this mastered. I'm not an expert on priorities. Pastor Rob didn't invite me to come speak because, like, I wrote a book on this and I've got it figured out. I don't. But I believe the word of God points us in the right direction. And I'm right there with you pursuing getting my priorities in order. So today let's talk about the priority of the church. I want to answer for you in this message today two very simple questions. And this may not be like the, the most deeply theological message you've ever heard. There may not be a whole ton of aha, man, I never saw that before moments today. My guess is for most of us as maturing believers, as people who have some sort of history in the church, most of this will be familiar. But here's what I've found the longer I've been in ministry. 
the vast majority of my job is not teaching people new things. It's reminding them of things they already know that they haven't mastered yet. It's the same thing with parenting. Parents, you can identify with this, right? Do you teach your kids more new stuff or do you remind them of stuff you already told them? Please brush your teeth with the toothbrush in your mouth, right? Like, no, Noah, don't put your hand in the toilet. Keep your hands out of the toilet, right? Like we have the same conversations over and over. Why? Because we love our children and they're slow. So God's word as a loving God, as one who cares about us and is for us, he repeats the same stuff front to back many times and sends speakers and teachers and pastors and apostles and prophets to teach us on things, already stuff we've heard because we're slow, okay? And so we're going to move through the slowness together and aspire to do better at applying things we've already heard and we already know up here. But if we look at our lives, we see I'm not really walking this out as well as God has called me to. And we serve a God who is patient. We serve a God who is gracious. He's not mad at you that you haven't mastered this. He's not angry with you. That's where the comparison between us as parents and him as parents stops, right? Because we can get very extremely frustrated with our children. But our God is patient. He's merciful. And he's good. So let's talk about two questions today. Give you some answers to these questions. Why do we prioritize the church, number one? And what can I do to prioritize the church, number two. First, we're going to give a why, and then we're going to give the what, because I believe the what has to flow from the why. If you understand the purpose, if you understand the reasoning, you're going to be a whole lot better at running the race that God has set before you. So let's talk about the why, and then let's talk about the what. Why do we prioritize the church? Let me say this, too. At City Church, I love it when people talk back to me. So I want to empower you. You can amen. You can shout. You can give me a come on. Like you, you, you can get into it today. Don't hold back. Uh, I preach better when I have feedback. So just, just go ahead and preface it with that. Um, this is going to be the audience participation portion of the service. Give me some answers. Why, why do we prioritize the church? What do you guys think? I've got three reasons we'll dig into. But before I get into my three, I want to hear your heart. Why is it, why is it important to prioritize the church? Church can become a crazy mess if we don't prioritize it. I'll be honest with you, the church can become a crazy mess even if we do prioritize it. Uh, but, but it's going to be a whole lot better if we prioritize it. Amen? Great point. Zach? It's Jesus' bride. It's Jesus' bride. He's stealing from my message. He ain't even seen my notes. Discipleship. The purpose is for us to raise up disciples, right? Absolutely. What else? Say it again. Leadership. I mean, we, absolutely, leading others to Christ. We need each other. We need each other. Man. So simple and so true right over here. Woo! Preach. Y'all got some preachers in the house. If you didn't hear her, she said, because God prioritized us by sending his son. We love him because he first loved us. We prioritize him because he first prioritized us. That's great. Anybody else before we move on? 
Awesome, awesome. All right, here's three answers that I felt God laid on my heart to share with you today. There are more answers to this question, certainly, than these three. But here are three of them, three reasons why I believe God is calling you as a follower of Jesus to prioritize the church or perhaps even to raise the priority of the church in your life. The first one is this, very simply, Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. I want my heart to break over the things that break God's heart. And I want my heart to be moved by the things that move God's heart. I want my heart to be filled with love and admiration and priority for the things that fill his heart with love and admiration and priority. And Jesus Christ, praise God, he loves the church. He's looking down this morning. He is proud of you. You got out of bed. You got your kids up. You fought with them to get ready. And you didn't give in to the temptation. You say, you know what? We can just watch online today. You know what? Man, church will be there next week. You, you prioritize the thing that Jesus loves today. That's huge. How do I know Jesus loves the church? Well, I think there's a ton of biblical evidence for it. Just for sake of time, I want to give you one verse. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is teaching us about marriage. And he says this, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. What is my calling as a husband? I'm supposed to love Melody with the same love, the same passion, same admiration, the same priority as Jesus loves the church. It's a big calling. It's one I fail at very greatly. It's one I fall very short of, and yet God continues to call me towards that level that I would love her the way that Jesus loves the church. As the Apostle Paul is teaching us about marriage, he's like, what's the, the best way I can illustrate how a husband should love a wife? What's the, the best way I can let husbands know the importance of valuing their wives, of raising the priority of their wives? He said, the best way I can do this is to point to what Jesus did for the church. Why? Because Zach already said it. Because the church is his bride. So he points us to the model of spiritual marriage that Jesus, this is what Jesus did for his bride. So husbands, this is what he's calling you to do for yours. Why do we prioritize the church? I prioritize the church because Jesus loves the church. Secondly, from that same verse, why do I prioritize the church? I prioritize the church because Jesus died for the church. For the church, Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Another translation says, laid down his life for her. What did Jesus do for the church? He offered himself as a sacrifice so that the church could be blessed, so that the church could be born, so that the church could exist. His purpose in dying was to build the foundation for the church. Jesus died for this thing. Next time you're tempted to talk badly about that annoying person you go to church with, let's be honest, we all have that temptation because we all know that person, right? And if you don't know that person, then you are that person. Um, 
You probably, even if you are that person, you probably know somebody else who fits the description, right? <laughs> the next time you're tempted to, to, to just gossip a little bit, just to vent, just to get something off my chest and talk negatively about somebody in your church family, remember this. Jesus Christ died for the church. Don't you dare sow division. Don't you dare speak negatively about the thing that Jesus said was so valuable. I'm going to lay my life down for it. See, Jesus died for the church. Why do I prioritize the church? I prioritize the church because Jesus saw so much value in it. He died for the church. When someone lays down their life for their country, their, their widow, their children oftentimes become the biggest advocates for the military. The biggest advocates for, for that nation, right? If it's an American soldier who dies, they, they become the, the biggest patriots. More often than not, why does that happen? Because when someone you love thinks something is worth dying for, you realize that that thing is worth living for. When someone you love says, this thing over here is worth laying my life down for, and I'm so grateful for the American soldier. I'm so grateful for for the freedom that we have, that men and women have laid down their lives for my freedom. But Jesus said the thing that's so important to me that I'll die for it is the church. And if we truly love him, if we truly prioritize him, if we truly honor him, then we're going to put some significance, some value, some priority on the thing that he said, I'm going to die for this. When someone you love thinks something is worth dying for, you realize that thing is worth living for. I believe that God has called us to live for the church, to leverage our lives for the church. Number three reason why it's important to prioritize the church is because God's plan is to reach the world through the church. His plan is to reach the world through the church. Ephesians 3, we'll go back a couple chapters, puts it this way. Paul says that his intent, speaking of God the Father, was that now, everybody say now. now. Not in a few months, not when my work situation gets freed up a little bit, not when the kids get out of the house and I have some more free time. Now, today, urgent, this moment, God's intent was that now through the church, through this thing right here, what would happen? The manifold wisdom of God should be made known, should be declared. Somebody said, man, why, why do we prioritize the church? Because, man, we got to reach new people. Somebody said, we gotta, why do we prioritize the church? Because how we, man, that's how we bring salvation to the world, absolutely 100%. God's plan, and by the way, God has a plan A and no plan B. If we fail, there's no plan B, y'all. His plan is the church and only the church. Now understand this, if harvest fails, if city church fails, that doesn't mean that the plan's gonna fail because God's gonna raise somebody else up to execute his plan. But you know what he's gonna do it through? It's gonna be the church. God is going to execute his plan to save the world, to reach the world, to evangelize the world, to send missionaries around the world. He's going to do it, and he's going to do it through the church. Why is this thing so important? Because this 
is the plan of God the Father from before the foundations of the earth. God knew he was going to make mankind in his image. God knew mankind was going to fall. God knew he was going to have to redeem mankind through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And he knew he was going to reach mankind through the church. It's plan A. And there's no plan B. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're plan A. Look at your second choice and say, well, you were my plan B, right? (laughs) But you're not God's plan B. Praise God, right? Let me take just a minute and address something here. There is legitimate church hurt. Okay, when I say that we need to prioritize the church, I don't mean that we need to just sweep under the rug abuse. That we need to sweep under the rug things that have legitimately come and hurt people because the enemy is really good at using God's people to hurt God's people. It's why it's so important for us to own our sin. It's why it's so important for us to repent, for us to walk humbly, because every one of us in this room is capable of hurting another believer, and chances are most of us in this room have done it. Okay? So when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying like, man, you just need to suck it up and get over it because that thing, horrible thing happened to you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. God's word compares his church to a family. My dad always says this about family. He says, I think every family is dysfunctional. And I've yet to find the one that proves him wrong. Right? We all come from some level of dysfunction. We all come from from some level of hurt and brokenness in our family. Why? Because family's full of broken, hurting people. Just because we receive salvation, just because we get filled with the Holy Spirit, just because we find purpose and direction in Christ doesn't mean we all of a sudden get over all of our brokenness. We bring a whole lot of baggage, a whole lot of hurt, a whole lot of failure into our relationship with church. And so even in the church, we hurt people. That doesn't justify it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not empowering us to go out and hurt people. I'm just saying it's the reality, right? Maybe you're here today and you're carrying some some church hurt. Maybe you're carrying some church hurt from a previous church that you were a part of, from from, from a, a youth ministry or a children's minister or a pastor. Maybe you're carrying some church hurt. I've heard this version of this story many times. Maybe you're carrying some church hurt from a previous marriage and you were married to a deacon an elder, a pastor who was abusive, neglectful, cheated. And because that person was in leadership, you associate everything they did to you with the church. If that's you today, I want you to know that we serve a God who heals. We serve a God who says, I am close to the brokenhearted, that I bind up, I fix up all of their wounds. So if you will allow him, I believe God wants to bring healing and restoration even into your situation. But in the same way that I hope you don't run away from your physical family because of some hurt from your past, but you realize your family is worth fighting for and engaging in. I hope and I pray that you recognize that the church is broken and flawed and imperfect as it may be is worth fighting for. 
It's worth believing in. It's worth pushing through some pain and some awkwardness and some fear and saying, no, Jesus prioritized this thing. Jesus designed this thing for me as a blessing and not a curse, as something to make me more like him, as something to to use my gifts in. I'm going to fight to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. It's worth it. It's worth it. Psychologists tell us that four out of every five thoughts of the average human being is a negative thought. 80% of our thoughts are negative. So we can infer from that that there's probably a lot of negative thoughts about the church. We're good at nitpicking stuff, aren't we? Man, I don't like this song. Man, when's he going to shut up? I'm trying to get to lunch, right? Like we're good at finding flaws. We're good at, at picking out the stuff that doesn't work or the, 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 the small group that didn't meet all of my expectations, the other follower of Jesus who walks in some hypocrisy sometime. We're so good at seeing the negative, and I'm not saying there's no negative there, but consider this morning What would happen if we started looking for the positive in the church? See, because our default human broken nature is we're going to look for the negative. So let's not give in to that. Let's not indulge that. Let's start looking for the thing. Wow, man, Pastor Bob, that was awesome. Shauna, I I loved what you said last Sunday morning. Man, small group leader, thank you for pouring into me. Community group, I'm so grateful I have you guys in my life. Kids teacher, thank you for keeping my child alive for an hour and a half so I didn't have to think about him. (laughs) Hallelujah. Right? What if we started looking for the things to thank somebody for. You know what? Somebody came in this week and cleaned these carpets. Here's what happens when somebody cleans the carpets. You don't notice the clean carpets, but if nobody cleans the carpets, you notice the dirty carpets. Right? What if we started looking for the thing to encourage somebody about, for the thing to be grateful for, for the way to build somebody up? What if we flipped that 80% upside down? Right? We're still human and we're still broken and we're still flawed. Those negative thoughts are still going to come to us. But what if we were so proactive, so intentional about filling our mind with positive thoughts about the church that we flipped that stat upside down? I think we can do it. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Because 1 Corinthians says you have the mind of Christ. And praise God, when Jesus looks at the church, he doesn't see all the failings. He doesn't see all the brokenness. He doesn't see all the ways that we don't rise to his level of expectations. When Jesus looks at the church, he sees his bride and he says she's gorgeous. And so if we have the mind of Christ, we have the ability to start looking at the church and seeing the beauty in her as well. Why do we prioritize the church? Because Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. And the church is God's plan A and he has no plan B. Amen? Here's what I felt yesterday. As I was meditating on this message, I was out cleaning the playroom and picking up Legos under a dresser. When I felt like God put this on my heart, if the enemy can't keep you from Jesus... And he can't because nothing can separate you from the love of God once you've come to Jesus. He'll work to isolate you and alienate you from the church. If he can't keep you from Jesus, and he can't, that's his plan A. 
See, we know that God has plans for us. You know the enemy has plans for you too. The enemy's plan A is just to keep you from salvation. He wants you damned with him to eternity in hell. If he can't accomplish that, and for the vast majority of, this, of us in this room, he has failed on plan A, praise God. If he can't execute plan A, Satan does have a plan B. And his plan B is to isolate you and alienate you from the church of Jesus. Why? Because he knows it's God's plan A. He knows the church is God's plan. And so if he can't keep you from receiving salvation, he's going to keep you from receiving the blessings, the accountability, the fellowship, everything that comes through the church. He's going to keep you from having that if he can. So we got to fight it. We got to fight it hard. Four out of five of our thoughts are negative. It might just be that the church isn't as bad as you think it is. It might just be that you're more broken than you think you are. If four out of five of our thoughts are negative, it might just be that the church isn't as bad off as you think it is. I'm not saying the church is perfect because it's not. But it might just be that the church isn't as bad as you think it is. It might just be that you're more broken than you realize you are. And so the next time that voice starts rising up of frustration against this person, of, uh, of rebellion against that leader, I want you to do a heart check. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to show you, because sometimes there are legitimate things and we need to go through the right means to express, hey, man, we, we got an issue over here. How can we fix this? I'm not saying there's never anything negative in the church. That's not real. That's not authentic. That's not genuine. That's why the Bible lays out ways for us to confront things in the church, because there's going to be flaws in the church. I'm just saying the next time you have those negative things come in, do a heart check first. Before it comes out of your mouth, before you address it, before you confront it, or God forbid, before you stop coming or you leave. Genuinely, authentically invite the Holy Spirit to speak into you. God, is this me or is this real? And more often than not, you're going to find that it might actually just be you. There might be some stuff in you that God needs to work on. So allow him to do that. Allow him to speak. Amen? So yes, there is brokenness in the church. There's failings in the church. Just as there's brokenness in me, there's failings in you. Yet God looks at your brokenness. He looks at my brokenness, and he calls you righteousness. God looks at your sinfulness, and he calls you holy. We just sang it, right? I am who you say I am. I'm righteous not because of my actions, which are unrighteous. I'm righteous because Jesus' righteousness has been credited to my account, been given to me. The theological term is imputed. It is, man, literally injected into my spiritual DNA. I have his righteousness, his holiness, his purity. I've received all that. When God looks at me, he sees that in me, and not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a child of God, 
right? And so if that's how God treats his individual followers, I believe he treats the church the same way. I think he treats the the bride the same way. Yes, we fail. Yes, there's sin. Yes, there's hypocrisy. Yes, there's there's jealousy and gossip and all kinds of foolishness in the church because we got all kinds of brokenness in the people in the church. But when God looks at the church, he sees something glorious. He sees a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. That's what God sees. So very quickly, as we have just a few moments left, let's answer the second question. What can I do to prioritize the church? What can I do to prioritize the church? Please, 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 every time you hear a message from God, when God chooses a a leader to speak in front of you, whether it's in a small group session, a, a Bible class, a sermon, whatever it may be, push beyond the urge to think about all the other people who need to hear about this. This is not what can the person next to me do to prioritize the church, right? Keep your elbow to yourself. What can I do to prioritize the church? It's going to be really easy to hear these things and think of all the other people in the church who aren't living up to these standards. Push beyond that temptation this morning. What can I do? Everybody just say, what can I do? What can I do to prioritize the church? Two very simple questions. Believers who prioritize the church, number one, contribute to the church. Now, when I say contribute, I'm not just talking about money, okay? There's a lot of ways to contribute to the church that are not simply financial. At City Church, we define the the line between attendance and membership simply as contributing. That as an attender, I come and and I'm being fed, right? As an attender, I come and, and I'm getting my needs met. Uh, and all of us start at that place. So that's not, that's not shameful. There's nothing wrong with that. We all pick a church based on, hey, how's it going to help my family? How's it going to help my marriage? How's it going to help my situation? That's the things you should look for in a church. But once you cross that line and you're not an attender anymore, you've chosen to join, you've chosen to choose this as your church home, now you've embraced the responsibility to not just consume but to contribute. How do I contribute? Well, three primary ways, time, talent, and treasure. How do I contribute my time? Number one, show up. Had lunch a couple weeks ago with a a family from our church who's been part of our church for a number of years. And uh, when COVID hit, we we spent 13 weeks online only. Spent three months online only. And during those three months, this family stopped coming. Uh, We hadn't seen them for for almost two years. They recently, they came back, I think, on Christmas Eve. It was their first night back, and so they've been back now for six weeks or so. And we got a chance to have lunch with them and just kind of catch up and see how they've been doing. And, And the husband looked at me, and he said this. He said, look, we weren't mad. Nobody offended us. You guys didn't do anything wrong. He said, we just got lazy. He said, we got real comfortable sleeping in on Sunday mornings. I think there's a whole lot of believers that got real comfortable taking some time that they used to give to God's kingdom and saying, I'm going to use this time for me. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to prioritize the things that Jesus prioritizes, can I just be real with you? I'm going to give some time to the church. I'm going to serve the church. I'm going to show up to the church. One of the things I love about your church, I'm Pastor Bob, I am jealous. I am walk, I'm, I'm, I'm in sin probably right now because I'm envious. Y'all show up early. Come on. 
on, Church of the Harvest. What a culture. Maddie and I are looking around before service. We're like, where all these people come from? <laughs> City Church, we're walking in halfway through the second song. Y'all, thank you for honoring this. Thank you for prioritizing this. I had actual, real, genuine conversations with people before church this morning. It was wonderful. Because they were here. Whoa. Well, no, I don't know anybody. Show up before service starts. You might get to know somebody. Nobody, nobody talks to me. That's because when you're there, there's somebody on stage they're trying to listen to. Right? See, I don't have to come back next week. I can just be honest with y'all. Right? I don't get to be this bold at City Church. I got to see them again. Right? <laughs> Believers who prioritize the church contribute to the church. They contribute their time. Secondly, they contribute their talent. Some talented people in Church of the Harvest. Man, you got some talented people here. And sometimes when you're surrounded by talented people, it's easy to be like, I got nothing to offer. I know what that feels like. God put something in you that he didn't put in Zach. God put something in you that he didn't put in Lauren. God put something in you that he didn't put in Aaron. God put something in you to build his kingdom, to enhance other believers. There is talent in you whether you see it, whether you recognize it or not. God knows it's there, and he's going to help you find a way to get it out of his kingdom. But see, talent follows time. Because if I won't prioritize the church with my time, I'll never discover the talent that God put in for you for the church. So you got to start with prioritizing the time. This is the first place. Then start seeing what treasure, what talent has God put in you. And then thirdly is treasure. Yeah, we already talked about tithing at the beginning of the message. Pastor Troy, I was with you, so you started talking about money. I mean, Zach just said, y'all are one of the most generous churches in the world, so I can tell you about money, right? Yeah. Like, y'all, y'all are on, on board with this. If you say you value your kids, but you don't spend any money on your kids, you probably don't really value them. If you say you value your spouse... But every time your spouse expresses a need, a desire, a hope, a dream that has a financial connection, the answer is no. You're not willing to make any sacrifice for your spouse's financial needs. You probably don't really love them. And if you say you love Jesus, but you are not willing to sacrifice financially for the cause of Christ, to reach people for the name of Christ, to build the kingdom of Christ, then I question whether your love for him is actually genuine. That may not be popular. That may not be comfortable. But Jesus Christ is worth it. He's worth it. What I tell him at City Church is, I'm not just asking you to give. I'm, I'm participating in this. What I, the phrase I've actually used, and I hope I can use this here. You might never invite me back to preach, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm smoking what I'm selling. Okay? Um, so, y'all, 
Y'all can judge me for that later. Just make sure you run that through the Holy Spirit. Make sure that's really conviction and not your own failure. Anyway. Um, back in 2012, I was youth pastor at City Church. We had actually resigned. We were moving to the Dallas area. We had some friends at Gateway Church. We were going to plug in at Gateway for a year or two. And then our goal was we were moving to the West Coast to plant a church. And in January of that year, my amazing wife said, I think we need to do a 21-day Daniel fast. And I had done a Daniel fast once before, 21-day fast. I made it to day three, and it ended with me crying in shame in a Taco Bell drive-thru. <laughs> I wish I was making that up. Um, so when Melody said, let's do a 21-day Daniel fast, I said, have fun. Uh, like, I have failed at this miserably. That is not for me. When God put it on my heart, I'm going to at least give this a try. So I made a very, very low commitment I'm going to see. Uh, but by God's grace, I made it 21 days through that fast. Melody made it 21 days through that fast. We read through the New Testament in 30 days in conjunction with that fast. We were at a really close place with God. And about the time that fast ended pastor of our church, Ricky Grant, came to Melody and I one night after staff meeting, and he said, Lori and I have decided to resign. Do you guys want to take over the church? And I said, no. We already got our plan. We're, we're leaving. We've already been looking at apartments in Dallas. Like, we're, we're good. Good luck. A um, few days later, Pastor Ricky called me back. He said, hey, we've met with the board. The board of the church has decided to shut down. At this point in time, we've been through some, some rough years. We've been through multiple pastoral transitions. We've been through like six moves in a three-year period of time. And, and we had been at one facility uh, where the, the city owned it. And at that facility, there was a, they rented it out on Saturday night for a school function. A kid got murdered in our parking lot. We moved across town into Whispering Woods with you guys. We get to Whispering Woods just in time for they hit the news that they're hosting a KKK convention. We got a vision to be a church that looks like heaven, to be a multiracial, multi-ethnic church. Couldn't stay and be a part of that. So, so we'd been through a lot. Our church had shrunk down significantly. We'd had multiple church splits. We were tired. We were done. So Ricky calls and he says, hey, the church is shutting down. Would you and Melody be willing to take it on an interim basis for six months just to keep it alive so the board has enough time to look for somebody else to take over? And at that moment, fresh off a 21-day fast, fresh off of reading the New Testament in 30 days, I knew instantaneously the answer is yes. So I told Ricky, I said, I'm in. But I got to talk to my wife. I told God, I said, I'm in, but you got to talk to my wife. <laughs> See, my wife is a planner. She knows what steps we're taking five years down the road, right? And we had this whole plan laid out. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to keep her here to hate the church, to, be, to resent me. Like, God, we've got to be in this together. And so I'm thinking it's going to be weeks fasting and prayer and seeking God. And within just a couple of minutes after I told her, she said, let's do it. And that's when I was like, whoa, this is for real. 
So this was a Monday night. By Wednesday morning, both of us in our own time with God had come around to, hey, if God's calling us to do this, he's not calling us to do it for six months. This is the thing he's been preparing us for. This is the thing we've been training for. This is the thing we've been praying for. God kept it hidden from us to protect us because we weren't ready to know this because then I would have been frustrated with every bad decision made by leadership and everything else that was going on, right? So he kept me completely out of it to keep my heart pure that I could serve wholeheartedly and honor leadership until the time came for him to reveal it. Why do I tell you all that? Well, in the midst of that, one other amazing thing happened. God called us. To raise our giving from 10% to 15%. And this was before we knew we were taking over the church. This was in the middle of the fast. And so we decided, okay, we're just going to step out in faith. We were in debt. Our finances were a mess. We had no idea how this was going to work. But God said, you're taking your giving from 10% to 15%. We said, okay. So we stepped out in faith and we started giving 15%. Very, very, very soon after, my wife, who had a temp job making $10 an hour, got offered a full-time position making $15 an hour. We went from 10% with her making $10 an hour to 15% with her making $15 an hour. You tell me that's a coincidence. You see, God always honors us when we sacrifice for his kingdom. We've got to contribute time, talent, treasure. I know I'm late, but keep moving. 1 Corinthians 10 or 12 says this, you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. You've got a part to play, time, talent, and treasure. Amen. Number two, how do, I, how do we prioritize? What do I do to prioritize the, the church? Number two, believers who prioritize the church represent the church well. What do I mean by that? I mean live for God in Olive Branch. Not just when you're in this building. Not just when you're at community group. I mean represent Jesus well. Live out your testimony. I'm not saying be perfect. I'm not. I'm not saying be flawless. I'm not. But I'm saying when you fall, own it. But consider the reflection on Jesus. Consider the reflection on harvest in the way that you operate. The way that you speak. The way that you operate on social media. I don't know how we got this idea that we can just turn off our Christianity when we're on social media. I don't know where that came from, but that's a lie from the enemy. You still represent Jesus on Facebook. You still represent the Holy Spirit on Instagram. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> Believers who prioritize the church represent the church well. Think of the way you live. Secondly, share the church with the unchurched and the dechurched. Share the church, share the church, share the church, share the church, man. Constantly be letting people know why. Because this is God's plan to reach the world. This is God's plan to reach the lost. Jesus died for the church. And oh, by the way, he died for the lost too. And it's so easy as Christians to, to get in our Christian bubble, to get in our church bubble, and man, just do our church routine and forget that there's a world outside those doors that is dying separate from Christ. Represent your church. Let people know that God loves them. Let them know there's an amazing church here that's not perfect, but that loves people, that loves God, and would love for them to come through the doors. Welcome newcomers passionately and authentically. When you see somebody in this room that you don't know, don't elbow somebody and be like, who is that? Just go over there and say, hey, I don't think I had a chance to meet you yet, or if I did, I don't remember your name. Can I, man, can I introduce myself and say your name and welcome them? Now, you guys are really good at this. But here's the danger. When we're good at something, we can get prideful about that thing, and it can go from a strength to a weakness very quickly. 
So just because you're good at it, just because you hear we're good at this, the danger is, well, now I can relax. There's this thing psychology has called the bystander effect. Well, I'm in a room full of people. Somebody else can go talk to them because we're good at this. So they'll take care of it. I don't have to. No, you go and engage them. But I'm an introvert, Pastor Troy. So? I'm sorry. God made you an introvert, and he made you to talk to and welcome newcomers in the church. That's just the way it is. Now, there might be an extrovert who does it better. I'm not saying you got to be as good as Zach is, right? I'm not saying you got to become Pastor Bob. There might be somebody who's better in that gift, but that doesn't let you off the hook because you're not comfortable around people you don't know. Sorry. Believers who prioritize the church, represent the church world, sit, well, sit towards the front. Y'all are great at this. This room is packed. Enter into worship. Y'all are great at this. Again, I'm telling you things you already know. You're already walking in. But maybe there's somebody on Facebook who's not exercising this right now. Maybe there's somebody here who hasn't been here in weeks. Maybe there's somebody here who's, who's getting to that prideful place and, and thinking, hey, now it's time I can, see, I can chill. I can relax. Represent your church well. Contribute to your church because the church matters. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church, and the church is God's plan. Hey, would you stand with me as we close worship team? Would you come down? Father God, I thank you so much for these amazing people. God, I thank you for friends in the kingdom of God. God, I thank you for the humility of this church, that they recognize it's not about church of the harvest. It's about the kingdom of Jesus. God, I thank you for the honor of standing in front of them and, and bringing your word today. And so, God, I pray right now, through your Holy Spirit, that you'd be stirring in each and every one of our hearts, God, a deeper commitment, a higher priority on the church of Jesus Christ. God, this thing matters. In fact, this thing matters more than our job. This thing matters more than than, than our, our social activities, more than our sports, God, more than our hobbies, more than anything else we're a part of besides our family. God, this thing matters so much. So, God, I pray that you would help us. Just right now as we pray, just invite the Holy Spirit to lead you, to speak to you. If there's application from this message for you, if there's a a greater commitment, man, that you need to get involved and serve more, that you need to start using a gift you're not using, you need to increase your giving. Maybe some of you, God, speaking to you right now to take your tithe from 10% to 12. And you don't know how you're going to do it, but I promise you this, where God guides, he provides. If he leads you to it, he'll see you through it. Father God, I pray that this church would continue to represent you well, that they would continue to show the lost, the hurting, the broken in Olive Branch, that there's a Savior who loves them, that Jesus came for them. God, use them. God, I just pray you raise up evangelists in this room. God, I thank you you're raising up missionaries already. God, I pray that you send them to the nations. God, I pray that that, that their children's ministry would have to turn workers away because there's so many people who want to plug in. God, God, that this church would be overachievers. They would prioritize your kingdom, God, even beyond what they're already doing. God, take them from glory to glory. Take them to a new level, Father God. I thank you for them. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you're far from God, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to take your very first step. Your first step is this, to give your life to Jesus. Romans 10, 9 puts it this way. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Two things you have to do. 
You got to believe that he literally raised from the dead. You can't have to justify it scientifically or be able to explain everything that happened, but there's something in you that says, yes, this is the truth of history. This is the truth of the universe that Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for my sin. Then you got to do one other thing. You have to confess him as Lord. Not just Savior, not just Jesus, I want to go to heaven. Jesus, you're king. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I'm going to value the things you value. I'm going to love the things you love. I'm going to live for the things you died for. If you're ready to make him Lord of your life, I want to lead you in a prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, very quickly. If that's you and you need to give your life to Jesus, on site or online, would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Troy. I need to prioritize Jesus today. I need to give him my life. Praise God. Praise God. Would you repeat this out loud if you raise your hand on that question? If you're a believer with us today, would you repeat this out loud as a show of support for those making this decision today? Say, Father God, I come to you today. I'm a sinner. I know I haven't lived the way you want me to. And so today, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me and make me clean. Jesus, I give you the throne of my heart. Come be my king, be my Lord. Be my Savior, be my God. Thank you for dying for me. Through your strength and your power, your spirit, I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Bible says there's a party, a celebration going on right now in heaven with your name on it. Can we join with the Angels Church and celebrate today? you made that decision today, either on-site or online, I want to give you a couple very, very quick encouragements. Number one, you start spending some time with God every day. And that means find a Bible. If you don't have one, I'm sure Harvest can provide one for you. Uh, man, be, begin to spend some time in prayer. You just confess Jesus as Lord. That means he's king. He can't be king if you don't know him. So you got to get to know him. you got to build a relationship with him, and this is the way that he's laid out for you to do that. So start spending some time with God every day. Number two, you need to find a church home. There's a ton of awesome churches in our area. We're very blessed. Y'all got a good one right here. Man, sell out to this church. Commit to this church. Man, be faithful to this church. Get plugged in in this church. Allow this church to help you and unleash your gifts in the kingdom of God. Number three, if you've never done it, you need to get baptized in water. Water baptism is actually the first thing Jesus asked his followers to do. It's the first thing he asked of his disciples. If you've never done it, I'm sure there's a, a great system for you to, to take that step here at Church of the Harvest. Speak with Pastor Bob, Lauren, Zach, any of the leaders. I'm sure they can tell you how to take that step. Can we celebrate one more time, Church of the Harvest? Thank you guys for welcoming us, allowing us to be with here. We love you guys so much. Have an amazing week. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.